Madison's Alternative, 106.7 The Resistance. This week on the Disruptor Series, I am joined by Mobley. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. How's the weather in Austin? Um, I, think I had a late night last night working, so I haven't actually been out yet, but I think it's pretty warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold here, but that's pretty normal for us. Yeah. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a Texan? I guess so. I've lived more here than I have anywhere else. So I guess that kind of makes me a Texan. Yeah. Do you follow sports at all? Some sports more than others, but, but yes. What do you have in mind? Are Texan teams your teams or do you have your interests spread out? I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan. I hard, but I don't really care that much about football or baseball or hockey. Uh, and we we just got a soccer team where we're getting a an MLS team in Austin. So I'll be a fan of that when it starts up. We have a soccer team here in Madison. So you'll have to come and check out one of those games when you can. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Young and Dying in the Occident Supreme has been promoted as an EP and as a full-length album. Can you provide some clarity on that? <laughs> That's news to me. Um, I, think, I think probably what's happened is it's kind of... Um, it's kind of expansive for an EP. It's got a, a kind of expansive set of concepts that it's dealing with. And it also has a sh short film that's a counterpart to it. So it's kind of, a, I think people normally think of EPs as kind of, oh, here, here are a few songs, enjoy. But this is kind of, a, I think, a bit larger of, a, of an undertaking and a, a larger creative work than probably what uh, EP tends to connote. So that's probably what's happening there. Yeah, that's multimedia then. Yeah. <laughs> In your recent interview with Maximum Alternative, you said that this new album was primarily written in Thailand. Yes. How did that happen? I was on tour in Australia and the tour ended and I hadn't had a vacation in probably five or six years. And um I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to be able to afford to get to this side of the globe again. So I might as well take a look around while I'm out here. So I just randomly picked Thailand and went over there and was planning to hang out and not really do any music stuff. I didn't bring any of my instruments or anything. I just had a laptop. When we landed in Bangkok, I was walking around and walked by this music shop and I saw a knockoff Telecaster hanging in the window. And... It was like 50 bucks or something ridiculous. So I couldn't resist and ended up picking it up. And then we went and stayed in, on this kind of remote island. I'm currently sitting in my living room, which is more a recording studio than it is a living room, honestly. <laughs> I'd grown so accustomed to having, you know, this full complement of tools at my disposal, really the ability to make any kind of sound that I wanted and to be restricted to just a guitar again, I think was just kind of creatively generative. And I ended up writing a, a bunch of songs while I was there and recorded uh, most of the guitar for, for those songs while I was there as well. And then came back and finished it where I'm sitting right now. Who was with you on that trip? Uh, my tour manager was there with me. Were they like, come on, man, we're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh they were they were very understanding when inspiration strikes you've got to be there to answer the call because it when it doesn't strike you're wishing it would <laughs> i loved the part in your interview where you mentioned that you believe instruments have songs in them for you as a musician who can play multiple instruments have you ever picked up one that didn't have a song in it for you 
I have actually. It shocked me that it didn't have any songs in it. So I ha- I got an auto harp. They're kind of a folk instrument. It's got a bunch of strings on it like a harp, but then there are bars on it and you pre- you push buttons that mute some of the notes and leave others open to form chords. And I was just obsessed with this instrument. And then I finally got my hands on one and I've probably had it for, I don't know, six or seven years now. And I've never written a song on it. <laughs> so there weren't any, there weren't any, I mean, if they're in there, I haven't found them yet. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're taking their time. Yeah. You have mentioned before that your influences come from all over the musical spectrum, all over the world. Do you ever have trouble narrowing down the sound that you're trying to make? Yes, constantly. <laughs> constantly. Yeah, that's a it's a real struggle because um, you know, unfortunately, the kind of systems that we have for marketing and distributing music are are so crafted around categorization which makes sense in his own way. I the, the way that it usually happens is I'll I'll write a bunch of songs like I'll write maybe I don't know 30 songs or something and maybe four or five of them will go together. And so I have it, what it feels like to me is like I'm doing laps and like I I pass that spot where this sound exists and I grab something but then I have to do the whole laugh again yeah. to come back to that to that place and find that sound again. But yeah, narrowing it down is really hard. And, and consequently, it's what I end up doing on my records a lot of times. This is a really rare exception in that I wrote all of these as a, as a single group. But a lot of the time I'll have songs from years and years ago and then brand new songs and they go together and I'll pull those together to make a record. My records usually kind of span time in that way. But this was a very very special time and and all the the stars aligned and these songs came all in a row with without any interruption you said before that you didn't expect to be releasing a guitar album in 2021 your previous album how do you describe that if not a guitar album yeah uh that's a good question i guess the main thing i meant by that is you know i like i alluded to before i had grown so accustomed to using the studio as my main writing instrument. So usually when I'm writing, I record alone, so I'm playing all the parts. So the song might start with the bass line and then I'll work on the drums and then maybe I'll start writing lyrics and and so on and so on until I have the full track. So it doesn't really feel like it's written on any, any one instrument, whereas these songs were decidedly all crafted around chords and lead lines on a guitar in particular and i think the the kind of sonic characteristics of rock guitar in particular really kind of dictated the contours of the full work and so i guess my previous record i guess is um i don't know i don't know what i would i don't know what i would call it like in contradistinction to a guitar record i guess a, a studio record <laughs> i don't know <laughs> A more all-instrument-encompassing album. Yeah. It's been almost a year since your single Nobody's Favorite was released, and now you have James Crow getting airplay. Was James Crow always going to be the second single, or did that change the plan with the schedule and everything? I think it was always going to be the second single, but it was supposed to come out like seven months before it did. The We put out Nobody's Favorite, I think two weeks before everything started closing down and getting canceled. So just 
incredible timing <laughs> to, <laughs> to start putting out a record. Yeah. Um, yeah, the I think the plan was always to follow follow it up with James Crow. It's been nice to see get such a positive response. Did you have a say in what order they came out and which ones did you get, pick nobody's favorite or did somebody else pick that for you? I don't remember exactly. I know that I picked where we did nobody's favorite James Crow and then the song called Made is going to be the single that kind of comes out with the record and I know I picked those. But there are a lot of people involved in all this, so I, I don't remember exactly whose idea it was. <laughs> it wasn't dictated to me, I guess, if that helps answer the question. Yeah. Is it kind of overwhelming to have to share your art with all these people? Oh, absolutely. And I'm kind of paradoxically, I'm a, I'm a really big introvert. So um, it, it hasn't been very long. This is my first record with the label. And like I got my booking agent right before everything shut down. I haven't been with my management for that long. So yeah, especially as someone who really, like, I don't have a band, I work alone um, on my creative stuff, having that many different people to talk to. There's probably like 20 people who, you know, to some degree play a role in, in everything. It's definitely pretty overwhelming. I like them all personally, but that is definitely my least favorite part of part of the job i just want to just want to make music yeah (laughs) in your bio written by dan caffrey it says quote maybe protest music is most effective when you can dance to it end quote i love that line because your music is so upbeat and comfortable but the topics behind the music are often far from comfortable is that something that you do on purpose to make it more comfortable or is that just your sound I so I would say that I I kind of have an obsession with the the kind of uh, expressive power and emotional resonance of really strong pop songwriting and I mean pop not in the sense of top forty but like just the tradition of popular song. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really powerful art form when you can create something that really sticks in someone's mind that's a very powerful vector for conveying ideas. So I think I just generally am attracted to that as a mode, as an artistic mode. And then, you know, the subject matter, I just write about what I feel compelled to write about. I will say that there is something very satisfying though about creating a piece of work that has that kind of internal tension where on James Crow in particular, it it was definitely a very intentional thing. I wanted to create something that was lyrically speaking disturbing but I wanted to put it in a package so that people would be singing it and dancing along to it before they realized what they were saying. And that, you know, the more, the more attentive people in the audience would kind of be like, wait, what am I, what am I saying? And I've seen that happen. Um, it's, it's actually really uh, from the stage I've seen that happen. And it's really gratifying to kind of watch that social experiment play out. I won't go as far as to say it's the best way to write protest songs or message songs if that's what you want to call them but i think it is a an underrated way to convey a message do you think that there are a lot of artists like you in that way like if south by southwest had been able to happen do you think that you would have really stood out with that yeah i think probably so i think um i think a lot of at least in terms of the artists that i really um enjoy and that Uh, kind of influenced me with regard to that. A lot of the ones who tackle kind of heavier, headier themes also tend to traffic in kind of 
difficult sonics and you know difficult forms and that's fun like i i i I can do that and i have fun with that for me the weight of those messages and the weight of those themes is so it's just such an ever-present part of my life and it you know it's a source of kind of honestly constant sadness for me and so for me i do enjoy making sure that the the musical aspect is something that's really for me personally really directly gratifying and something that can be a source of immediate connection to other people so um i definitely i'm definitely not the only one doing it by by any stretch um but particularly in like the kind of rock rock adjacent space i think serious stuff gets handled in it with a serious face on and (laughs) i think there's more ways than that to do it so in the future when you're playing stadiums (laughs) how are you going to convey that same message and that same passion that you do in a smaller space where you can literally see faces changing in front of you how's that going to feel someday well i think the you know i'm cooperating with you on this thought experiment i'm not making any predictions of my own but i think the benefit that you do have when you are operating at that scale you you certainly lose some of that intimacy in live shows but i think the thing that you kind of get in return is you have this mass of people who are kind of watching your every move and are are very interested in in diving deep into the text so to speak with you and um so while that kind of direct instant gratification of like oh i saw i saw it hit you I saw you understand it. While I imagine that probably fades some at scale, I I think kind of having these legions of people who are, who know every word and know every detail and then are talking with each other and arguing about what does this mean? What does that mean? That also opens up to kind of certain kinds of spaces for the creation of meaning that just aren't there at smaller scales. So I think it's just, I think it's just a trade off. In that same vein, you have a virtual tour kicking off next month. Yeah, it's it's going to be shot at, at a variety of kind of unconventional venues. We've already shot two of them. Uh, one was on the rooftop of a hotel downtown. We shot one in a church last night, actually. We're going to be shooting at the, soccer, the new soccer stadium, at the F1 track, at the Central Library, at the Gulf Coast on the beach, out in the hill country, in the woods. They're going to kind of give people from around the country, around the world, whoever tunes in, kind of a, a sense of what it's like to move through some of the spaces, some of the more interesting spaces that are around the places where I live, and hopefully present the songs to them in a variety of you know different arrangements, reimagined ways. It, it was a real bummer to not be able to tour. I Live performance is definitely a big part of what I enjoy about making this art, but obviously it was just wasn't responsible to do that right now but i'm actually i have two screens in front of me you're here and right above you is the editing software where i'm putting together one of the shows right now and they're going to look incredible i i think it's going to be a really cool experience for for the people who uh who take part in it and it's pay what you can Uh, It's pay what you can and all of the proceeds go to charity. So for my part, all of my share is going to an organization here in Austin called the Dawa Fund, which provides direct aid for people of color who work in healthcare, 
and in the arts and in the service industry. And then the rest goes to the venues to uh, support furloughed workers. How did you pick Dawa and how did you pick the venues? Uh, the venues, we kind of just, it was either people we already had relationships from touring previously or people who had relationships with my booking agent and who we would have been playing last summer. And it was just a no-brainer to to donate the money to, to the venues for furloughed workers. And then as far as the Dawa Fund, it's a nonprofit that a friend of mine started and that I've raised a bunch of money for over the course of the last year especially as the pandemic has really hit artists pretty hard. I was drawn to that one in particular because it is a very cash-in-hand, direct aid, no-strings-attached type thing. A lot, of the, a lot of the relief that has been available for musicians has involved jumping through like tons and tons of hoops, and then you get it in the form of a gift card or whatever. I really like the idea of doing direct cash transfers. People know what they need better than you know what they need. And, you know, putting that assistance in their hands that way. So that's why I chose Dawa. I'd also like to mention for listeners that $25 in merch on your store includes a ticket to one of your shows. Yes. And you have lots of really cool merch available right <laughs> oh, thank now. You. Thank <laughs> you. Do you design your merch too? I do. I do. Man. Did you pick up any new instruments or hobbies during the pandemic? I did. I picked up an instrument called the Nagoya harp or Taishigoto. I found one in a pawn shop online. I found one in a pawn shop in Kyoto and had it sent here. And it is a very, very cool instrument. I haven't gotten any songs out of it yet, but I, I produce music for other people as well. So I've been working on that a lot and I've thrown it on everything I've worked on <laughs> since I got it. That's really cool. It was invented as a student instrument and a simplified, a simplified version of a really beautiful but extremely large and hard to play instrument called the koto. So you press on these buttons and it um, pinches the strings at different points to create different pitches and then you strum here. But yeah, it's a really beautiful instrument. Do you ever do like online classes or anything to teach people all these instruments? I definitely don't have time for that. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun, but I don't have any extra time for that. Yeah. And you are including in your merch store, I saw that you can get a serenade. You're going to do those yeah. for the yeah. biggest package. That's right. So you can't do music classes, but you can get a serenade. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. My last question is Do you make meatloaf? Huh. I have never made meatloaf i don't think i've even eaten meatloaf since i moved out of my parents house <laughs> interesting i was gonna say do you put in cornflakes crackers or breadcrumbs so my parents used to meatloaf is meatloaf is beef right yep okay yeah i don't really like beef that much but my parents used to do breadcrumbs i think is this like an important regional question nope <laughs> <laughs> just a recipe the other day and was like, hey, might as well ask. Which one was it? I use breadcrumbs most of the time, but I guess other people have used cornflakes. Or... I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Cornflakes, what was the other one you said? Crackers. Just mixing up or pounding out crackers and making crumbs out of those. That doesn't sound as good to me. <laughs> yeah. It's just a thickener. Huh. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What day does the new album come out? February 19th. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. It was genuinely a pleasure. We'll hopefully see you in Madison in 2021. Absolutely.